with India, I spent like there's a million more years that I want to go back to India and learn and learn and learn and learn. It was such a it was such a tiny little water drop um, that I was you know there for and there in. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. Claire Winsenberg today, and I just this year learned how to say your last name. Not because it's hard to say, but because I always said like Winsenbacher or something, <laughs> and nobody ever said, no, dude, it's Winsenberg. I just learned how to say it this year too, actually. Nice. So, yeah, I've been struggling a lot, um, but finally my mom sat me down one day and was like, Winsenberg. Um so yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we learned that lesson together this year. So you live in Ketchikan year round now. Mm. You've made the jump. <laughs> year round. Year round now, as in like this last year, yes. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, You're a lifer. I did put it on my license, but I that doesn't mean much. But so. you got here in a different way than most people did. You came for the Forest Service. Yeah. I came to intern for the Forest Service. Um, for the Tongass National Forest, our nation's largest national forest, 17 million acres of coastal temperate rainforest. What? How big? <laughs> how big was the biggest uh, forest fire in the Tongass ever? Um, what is seven acres? Seven acres. And that's I it. <laughs> I learned that today from you. So <laughs> clearly, you interned at the Forest Service too. No, seven acres. We did have a forest fire in Brown Mountain in 2015, though. How bad was so, it? I think they put it out in like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I may have made the newspaper the next day. I don't remember. So, and you're from Minnesota. Yep. What brought you from Minnesota to Ketchikan? Like catch a can. the forest service, but how did you get into that? Um, so the year, the summer before I went to catch a can, I did a similar internship at the park service further north in Copper Center, Alaska. Uh, much, much smaller than catch a can, it's like over 200 miles away from the closest stoplight, so it's very. Um, Do they put that on the town sign? <laughs> yeah, we're very proud of it. No, um, it's still like on the road system though, so it's not as rural as like having to take a bush plane to your house, like a lot of people do out there. But I just got so addicted to Alaska. I was only supposed to be up there for three months, the entire summer, and um, I just couldn't like come to terms with the fact I was leaving this place. I have a playlist actually on my phone. It's called "Why Am I Leaving Alaska" <laughs> that I made <laughs> that summer um, for my plane ride back to Minnesota. So after I got back and I was going to school in St. Paul at the time in Minnesota, I was just like exhausted by 
all the concrete I was walking on all the time and I wasn't looking at any mountains and St. Paul is like an amazing place and like it's full of a lot of good really really good things I don't want to discount that but um it just wasn't it wasn't what I needed at the time I was feeling like overwhelmed by school as most people do when they go to college <laughs> um but it's like working some ridiculous amount like four jobs or something like that and going to school and I was like I need to leave <laughs> and go back to Alaska because it's like one of those things when you've figured out where you're good and like where you're happy and where you feel sound like I don't know why you waste time doing other things you know because the initial thought was well when I graduate I'm gonna move to Alaska and I was like well why should I wait another year and a half to be like happy <laughs> like grind through it right? to like, get to where like, I could go right, right like now. and like I'll probably get hit by one of the metro transit buses in that year and a half anyways you know headphones in listening right? to why would I leave Alaska playlist thinking about Alaska and then boom right exactly going to school for something that I no longer plan to do because of my experience here so so after that I was like just deep in researching like other positions um and found this one here in town at the Discovery Center that started in April. So I was like, I'm going to not go to my second semester that year. I'm just going to leave. Um, and that's what I did. And I found myself on this little island. In, well, not little. It's a big one in southeast Alaska. 67 square miles. It's 67 square I miles? I think. I don't know. Pretty sure it's over 1,000 square miles. Wow. This island? It's giant. You're probably right. 67 seems really small it's now giant. that I think it's, about it. It's the, um, it's the 12th largest island in the United States. It's definitely bigger than 67. It's really big. It's a big, it's a biggie one. See, whenever I throw out facts that are incorrect, I just edit them out. So, yeah. That's <laughs> put like a like air horn noise over it. Yeah. Just perfect. So, we just hiked Dude Mountain. Yeah. And it's so much fun being in nature with Claire because <laughs> she gets excited about all the plants. And I, I love hearing about them from you <laughs> and seeing them. And my I'm wondering if you're growing up in Minnesota, that was sort of like the gateway landscape to you loving Alaska. The gateway landscape. I love that. <laughs> um, Minnesota. uh I could not tell you, there's so many, like, plants and amazing grasses and, like, grasses, man. There's so many different, wow, anyway. Tell <laughs> us about a few. No, it's just like, but no, here's the thing, like, in Minnesota, there's so many wonderful things that exist there in that environment that I know nothing about, nothing at all. I have, like, such a lack of familiarity with the own landscape that I actually was, like, raised in, which... So I think about this a lot because I go back to Minnesota now and I go on like hikes and I spend time outside and I'm much more interested in like identifying those plants that are around me and like knowing what trees I'm, you know, walking around. Like I don't, there's. Well, also oh. how many, tre how many types of trees are here? Like four? Uh, yeah, there's more than four, but oh. we do have like a very, Lewis very, lied to me then. We have. 
Well, okay, so there's like four main species. But yeah, a lot of people will lie to you and be like, red alders are only deciduous tree. And I'm like, excuse me, that's not true. We also have the Sitka alder. We also have the Sitka mountain ash, which is like a really beautiful tree. Everyone go look at a Sitka mountain ash. It's really pretty. I love how you're gazing out <laughs> through your window I into am. the horizon. I'm thinking about Sitka mountain ashes and how they're out there. Ashes? Ashes? I don't know if that's ash. I don't know what the plural is for an ash tree. No, I don't know really hardly anything. I know a lot about the I know a lot about the birds in Minnesota. Um, just because my mom, like that's what she does. Like she keeps like this amazing, like giant telephoto lens on her camera in like next to her in the passenger side of her car. And like she'll just drive the back countries and like take pictures of birds. So that was like what she's like taking me out to do when I come home now. But that's kind of something that we like found. I not together. Like she's always really loved birds, and she grew up in um, kind of like the backwaters area of the Minnesota River. I grew up along the Minnesota River. She grew up at the convergence of five rivers. Really beautiful place. I'll take you there sometime, Joey. I, I grew up at the convergence of two, so she's <laughs> well above where well I, above I started. You. you don't know jack shit about rivers. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love that idea of that. Like, I mean, it really should have been my gateway landscape, right? Like, there's Minnesota is amazing. Um, a lot of people too when they come here, they say this looks. A lot like north it does look a lot like northern minnesota here um like deciduous but it's more i mean we don't have these giant mountains there's a mountain in minnesota actually called disappointment mountain it's like two thousand feet tall disappointment mountain <laughs> yeah called mount like disappointment it's in the sawtooth range which we do have a mountain range in minnesota i see i learned that though in my adulthood yeah i didn't know that growing up so it does sound like there was a point in your life where you're like, wait, I can know the names and all that stuff mm -hmm. instead of just looking at it and thinking it's beautiful. Right. And it is so sweet to know. There's actually, oh my gosh, there's this Mary Oliver line about that. The whole idea of like, it is so sweet to know something's name, but you don't know, you don't need to know its name to appreciate like all of its sweetness and all of its beauty. Like, but there definitely is this like amazing I don't know, like feeling of connection that grows when you start to look at a plant or a bird or any other species and like, you know, its name and then you learn more. You learn like how it interacts with all the other species around it and like how it plays into the larger ecosystem. And then you just are like, wow, it's all connected. And you want to vomit because it's so beautiful. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Have uh, you ever vomited from something being so beautiful? I, you know... Because I, if you tell me yes, I would not second guess. I, I know, like, <laughs> I feel that way a lot. Um, we used to fake vomit noises a lot on the boat <laughs> for Alan Marine when we'd pull into Redyard Bay and see like Punchbowl Wall ahead of us, and it's like this amazing granite cliffs, and they're always so majestic, no matter what time of the day it is or what the weather's doing or how your day is going. Like Punchbowl Cliff still looks good, you know? And that's always like, <laughs> like <laughs> but I've never actually, I don't think I've actually had matter come out of my own mouth because of beauty. Um, I hope and plan for that to be the case. Someday. Someday. Hopefully someday soon. 
I see it on my horizon. Maybe we can get there this summer. Yeah, summer yeah. Summer goals. I'm going to I'm gonna vomit less from drinking, vomit more. <laughs> beauty. <laughs> less Camarena, more beauty. So you're, you had the Forest Service job one summer, and then you the next summer you had... You were on the Allen Marine tour out yeah. to the Misty Fjords. Yep, out to the Misty Fjords. Yep. How did you, how did you get that job, and what did you do on it? Ooh, okay. So I got the job because I was up in Anchorage. So after my first summer here in Ketchikan, I had to leave abruptly, go back to Minnesota, and deal with some medical stuff. But then I like got some went got a job saved up more money and then the moment I had enough money to like make rent and my deposit at my place in Anchorage and like have just like a little buffer to like buy you know can of beans like <laughs> I, I was like gotta, yeah like my, I was like I gotta go gotta go um and so I was living in Anchorage in the winter time and I applied I just started thinking about catch can again like I started thinking about how I wanted to revisit Ketchikan and have it be a place like that had a positive associations to it. Cause at that point in time, like I had all these negative associations with Ketchikan and I was like, I need to go back to this like astoundingly beautiful place. Like I'm not done with it yet. That feeling of like, so it was negative because of the way the forest service job ended, <laughs> which we don't need to get into. Yeah. Yet, we don't need to get into. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, yep. Yeah, it was negative cause of that. And, and, um, and I just wanted to come back. There was I was just had that sense of like there are so many people and so many things about this place. At that point, I actually had never gone to the Misties. I never went to the Misties that year before. I had never been there. Um, but was the first time you were ever to the Misties, you were getting paid for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've actually never gone out there and not got paid. Now that I think about it, <laughs> I'm always getting paid. Um, yeah, I've gone over. I did the math. Um, the other day, I think I've gone over 250 times now at this point to the Misty Fjords. Wow. <laughs> and it's awesome. Like, And that's like nothing compared. We have, I know some captains that, I know the I know a captain who I'm sure holds the record for the most amount of times a human being has been in the Misty Fjords. Does like, Jenna work for Al Marine? Is she one of the narrators? I do not know. Okay, never mind. That's Maybe. Right. I don't know. I don't know who there's who's working there this year, but... Um, person i'm thinking of worked there a few years ago okay and i saw her down on the docks the other day maybe it's not alan marine maybe it's potentially I don't know. potentially but um yeah i just needed to come like back so i started looking for jobs and i remember um my f- someone who had worked that same internship the year before her name was colleen and i remember she worked for alan marine when i met her and she said she really liked working for alan marine or that she really loved her job going to the misties so I applied to be a naturalist for Alan Marine, and they they took me. <laughs> they called me, and they're like, do it. Let's do it. Got to pee in a cup. I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that was, wow, this is so long ago, but so not long ago. You know what I mean? It's weird, deeping, reaching into the vaults of my memory. I do know what you mean. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day about how, <clears throat> because... Uh, my life now is two different seasons with like little miniature seasons in between the two. Mm-hmm. Time is really weird. Yeah. I, every, 
it seems like everything is more in focus and time is slowed down. Right. But in some ways it seems like it's going so fast. Yeah. It's it's a really weird way to compartmentalize your life as it's happening, which results in weird time relation to memory things. Yeah. Oh, time relation to memory. Yeah. Because like, yeah, I'm thinking even about this winter. I'm like, oh, I lived in Ketchikan this winter. But then I'm like, wait, I also like went to Minnesota for a good chunk of time. I did a road trip. I also lived in California for at least like a month and a half or like, you know, I'm just like, I forget. I also did that like in the recent, like, I mean, I was a good chunk, but it was all, it was the beginning of December. I got back to town. So I guess I was only gone for two months this year, but, but it feels like kind of what you're saying, like that sense of like, I did have like a little mini season in there (laughs) somewhere else. Um, But yeah, I don't, my brain can't wrap around when really anything happened so you worked at alan marine you went to the misties a shitload mm-hmm. went to the misties a shitload um yeah it was great it was so great what are you doing this year going to the misties again but with a different company but only not a shitload not a shitload only three days a week load which is great and i never work a double so i never go to the misties twice in one day which sounds like such a, a such like <laughs> never it sounds like such a bratty like oh god i don't have to go to the missies twice a day i'm so grateful now that that's over it's so that hellscape of my life has passed oh god i have to pay to go to the wilderness two times a day no but it is like i mean it's a job it's a job um it's a wonderful job, though. I'm really grateful. I see, like, We had 13,000 people in town today. Mm-hmm. At least 100, probably closer to, like, 300 of them will remember going to the Misties today for the rest of their life. And it's such a good thing that you only have to go there once a day now <laughs> or one, <laughs> once every time that you work. Right. No, it's amazing. It makes me a better person at my job, for sure. Like... Last year, I wasn't talk. I was just duck handing. I never talked to anyone really. I mean, I'd I'd like dick around with the passengers that felt like they were my friends, you know. It's like let's hang out, like. Um, but it wasn't my job to like talk on a microphone and be like, and I'm off to the port side. We have this, this, and that. Or um, this sheer wall goes straight down <laughs> six hundred yeah, more feet right. below you. Mm-hmm. Off to the starboard side, we have a group of black bears making a pyramid. <laughs> like you know, we're like. I'll ask the question everybody's wondering, are those animatronic? Uh, I'm contractually obligated to say no comment. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But really, like, it does make me, because I do it three days a week, and I'm like, for three days around a week, I'm just, like, legitimately stoked on the Misty's. Like I said, no matter what, when you get into like Redyard Bay, no matter how bad my day was going, like I was still like, wow, this is pretty. There's something new to find in there. My new favorite hobby is to look at the rock walls with my binoculars and like identify new plant species that I see out there. Because there's like weird random wildflowers that just get planted by birds out there. And you're like, you know, just trying to find something new that's like kind of minuscule within this really grand picture because you've already seen all the peaks and everything it's like what can you now you're looking at the trees right forest yeah and just like looking like 
legitimately at like little patches of like shrubs growing off rock walls and being like, what are you? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing there? But, (laughs) um, but yeah, so that was the last two years I worked for Alan Marine doing that. Um, one year, I don't know. They're both good. They're both good. And now you're also working at Bar Harbor. Bar Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Bar Harbor. <laughs> Prime rib and <laughs> Prime rib and king crab galore. <laughs> it's a chowder emporium. <laughs> oh, my <Sorry>. God. <laughs> Bar Harbor. Really. So you, you had the tour guide job. And now you're serving also. Yeah. What's the decision process there? Cha-ching. Oh, gosh. Goodness gracious. Almighty ducks. Um, I don't... The decision process was I wanted to work on a boat part-time. That was my, like, goal... That was this goal that I set for myself. Like, I was like, I need to work on a boat part-time. And then in the wintertime, I was just working um, at Bar Harbor. That's, like, the job I got for the winter. And I was like, this is fun. I like this good work environment. Good people come in. Get to sling food at people. <laughs> By sling, I mean, like, gently put their plate down on their, <laughs> on, on their table. Um, unless they're an asshole and I'll slug it right at them. Not true. It's not true. Um, any hoosies. I, I think I needed more variation in my existence here. And it also allowed me to make a schedule that gives me two days off in a row in Ketchikan, which I've never had. And that was my, that was like, the big one. That was the big one. I remember I sat down with my my old ops manager at Alan Marine, who's like this amazing, really wonderful guy. Um, and I just looked at him and I was like, I'm not, I can be on call this summer. I'm not working full time this summer, um, which really kind of, I think was a little bit, not like shocking or anything, but like everyone kind of knows my, my intention is to get my hundred ton and like I need sea time and this, that. And so everyone's kind of like, what, you know, why aren't you going to be working on a boat? If what you want to do is, is boat, like you want to boat. So like, like, and you want to boat, right. Why aren't you boating? Why are you boating? Um, and I am boating, but I just, uh, like looked at him and I was like, I have lived, this will be my fourth summer in Ketchikan and I have never had a freezer full of fish. I've never had like nearly as many berries as I need to, you know, I live in this legitimate like wonderland of like delicious, delicious, delicious forest food and like have, I don't know. And I was like, there are, you know, peaks I haven't gone to, like you were talking about earlier, the California Ridge over there on Gravina, like I have stared at that now, like this will be my fourth summer looking at that ridge and just like, being exhausted by knowing that I haven't been on on it. And I was like, I need time. <laughs> like, need I need time to play. Time. Yeah, so. You said earlier you really like being the people on the mountain rather than the people looking at the mountain. Yes, people on the mountain rather than people looking at the mountain. Although the mountains are good to look at, too. They are. They're nice. A nice curvature. <laughs> Very indicative of glaciation. <laughs> 
Those are the words I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is, now that you have some more time, what are a couple of your big goals that you need to accomplish to make this summer a success? Um, well, the summer will already have been successful because I went up Dude Mountain with Joey today. So that was it. That's, That's it. All. <laughs> That's all Done. I needed. Wrap it up. Um, no, wrap it up. It's a wrap. Call it on. Time for shoulder season in California. <laughs> Gotta go. It might be, though. No. Um, <laughs> no, I think I'm pretty focused on doing making things. So working on making earrings. Bought my business license this winter, which was like a fun adult thing to do. I wore a suit the entire time I bought it. Nice. Can you imagine? I did. <laughs> Just like filling out the paperwork, wearing a suit. Moving like your tie around <laughs> the whole time, Groucho Marx style. Business, business, mm. business, business. Harumph. <laughs> Harumph. I'm just um, trying to find ways to do things, uh, to make things, to write things. That's a huge part of my heart is writing. Uh, that is deeply neglected in the summertime. I can look at my journal uh, from the last, or journals rather, from the last like three years, and there's this chunk of time that just goes missing, and it's just and you know because it was bought by someone else, like it was literally just bought. I just sold it, and it just goes missing, and I I don't like make words, uh, and that makes me bummed out. So that's like a big goal for me this summer is to like write something. Or write more, rather. Yeah, because you've written something that was already in the <laughs> magazine. Ooh, yeah. No, I have and done everyone that. Everyone loved it. Um, and I and I really loved that, and that was fun. But I I need like specifically like <clears throat> I've written and continue to write a lot of poems, and poems are really what is like that's what I care. I like love poetry. I'm going nuts right now because I can't write anything. I can't write anything at all it's all it's all is it garbage. just not coming out or are you not having enough time mm. i think it's not it's not coming out in a mixture of like i'm also allowing or like lending more of my time to other things that are also productive and creative in other ways too like i've been cross-stitching a lot because i'm an actual grandmother <laughs> and i don't have tangible goals joey i just don't have them is that a bad thing I think you have to decide that. I don't think it is a bad thing. Then it's not. I just, my summer will be a success if I leave here, catch can, feeling like. Period. No, no, <laughs> no. I love it here. Um, feeling like emotionally healthy. I feel like I have this really great um, track record of like September hits and I'm just like. I'm just a, like kind of a wreck. Like I'm a trash heap of a human. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm just like, I don't know, September hits and I've maybe made a bunch of money, but I also, like I said, I don't have a freezer full of fish and I haven't done things to really like take care of myself and I don't cook myself meals and all that. And um, so if I feel like really like emotionally and physically well by the time September is here, wow, that's going to be a, Mm. And I'm going to leave here with a sense of, I don't know, no, like no sense of animosity. That'll make, that's it. 
It's my goal. It's not very tangible. It's I'm, all about my emotions. Yeah, that's a good goal. <laughs> I'm a cancer. It's just all about emotions. Oh, <laughs> it's just <laughs> it is though. So your company that you started, Boreal Beating. Yes, Boreal Beating. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is. Brick woven earrings, is that right? Um, brick stitch, yeah. So brick yeah, stitch. it's like it's a type of weaving of like off loom weaving. So you have like I also do loom weaving, which is like a different different thing entirely, and it's also a lot of fun. But um, it's yeah, brick stitch is a process of weaving beads together. So like they're all held together by maybe like one or two strands of thread just run through them you just have to be creative about how you put them together so <laughs> where where do you sell them now um currently uh out at the captain's lady and then out of my own home <laughs> <laughs> yeah selling them currently at the captain's lady and looking to potentially sell them other places it's just one of those things too that i care i care about it i care about it and i like making things and all of that and it's just like a it's like a little, what are your words? Side grind. Side grind. It's a side grind. Side hustle. Yeah. It's a side hustle. It's a side hustle. It's not actually a hustle though. It's like, I don't know. It's major labor of love. Those things take a long time to make. Yeah. <laughs> or they they take a lot of swear words to make. A what lot you, of. So you're sitting there weaving these together, stitching, brick stitching yeah. them together. Perfect. What do you, do you listen to podcasts or music? I listen to podcasts a lot, actually. I listen to this podcast. It's amazing. It's called She's All Fat. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, it's like these two women that just talk about like their existence in the world as like pretty fat women and like talk about like just to like fat phobia and like all of it it's it's so interesting and it's so like it's so good i also listen to oh my goodness this podcast called on being from minnesota it's about people's spiritual identities oh you told me about this yeah it's the one where she like brings in like writers and musicians and all of all of those people and kind of like all minnesotans not all Minnesotans. Minnesotans. No, they're not all Minnesotans. No, no, no. I <laughs> uh, don't, you know. Anyway, then <laughs> she talks to them about just like what is what's inside, you know. That's that's a simple way of putting it. But and then music. Yeah, I've been listening to. An absurd amount of Joni Mitchell, which is so funny to me. <laughs> she's, Why is that funny? I, I listen know. to a lot of Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell is amazing because she like she's singing all these songs, and I'm just like, I'm a 23 year old woman, and I'm like, I feel all of this. <laughs> like, like you just knew, you just knew. Like it's so, it's just such a, uh, like the same experiences she's having. I'm just having too. I'm like, wow. Joni. Have you read any of her books? I haven't. Like all of her by like the biographies or her like M Train and I forget what the other one's called now. Mm-mm. But yeah, they're biographical like from her words. Okay. Like, like ones from when she's younger, ones when from when she's older. I haven't read them. I know a woman down at the farm that I go to in California that has read like every single 
thing that has ever been written about or by Joni Mitchell. She's actually the woman that like kind of like got me back into Joni Mitchell. Just reminded me like, oh, Joni Mitchell. <laughs> like <laughs> that's ooh, I gotta do that more often. Joni. Should I read? Should I read those things? I I've heard they're great books. When I when I turned 30, I gave a bun- anybody who would ask a book to read, mm-hmm. like a title to read. And I gave out like 80 books, 15 podcast episodes, one video game playthrough. And some of the one I gave M Train and the other one out to a couple people. What, did you, what was the video game playthrough? <sighs> Ocarina of Time. Yes, I'm so <laughs> glad it was that. My buddy oh, Andrew my heart. Yeah. hadn't played it, and he—I don't think he still even has now. Because cut him off. He—he <laughs> he got. He couldn't find a 64 at first, and then when he did find one, the game wouldn't save. They have it for the GameCube. Right. Yes. No excuse. You, you can know, find a game. I played the master version on GameCube during finals week when I went to college. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I beat it. So you listen to Joni Mitchell while you do your beating. Yeah. Yep. Joni Mitchell, and I've been listening to a lot of Graham Parsons. Like he was talking again. Right. Mm, Graham Parsons, and I don't know. I just, yeah, I tune into something and then play it a lot of times over and over again. Like, I'll just listen to an album on repeat because that allows my brain just to be like, I am the bead. <laughs> the bead. I am the bead. <laughs> the bead I'm weaving is my me. life into this bead. Uh, it's so real, though. But... Yeah, it's a really sweet, very meditative thing to do. And I'm really grateful that a friend of mine gave me that craft. Um, there's so many things to learn, though. Like, I want, I don't know. Do you craft? Do you make things? Um, I do make you, things. You do make things. You craft in the sense that, like, you write. and you. I mean, that is a craft. Like, that is, but. Yeah. Um, I think it's that self deprecation when you create your own art Mm -hmm. that for me when I think about writing it's like it's not really art my I when I write fiction yeah it's art Mm -hmm. I really like that I do that right but when it comes to like the magazine or articles for it or for the website that doesn't it's not really art to me right can't I'm sure someone can argue that against me and when but I don't know I don't I don't draw because I'm terrible at it but I went to the drink and draw thing last two weeks ago, yeah. and it was a blast. You get better. I did get better. Yeah, Dave Rubin showed me the uh, line of action and mm-hmm. the wine glass and the wine bottle with the egg and right. the wine glass. Yeah, it was awesome. I want to go to that so badly. So you said that you've traveled outside the country to India. Yes. Yeah. That's really I. I went to France when I was fifteen for some fluke. I like got to be there for a summer when I was 15, which was cool. But I like don't, you know. But other than that, India has really been it. Um, that was the January. It was actually, I'm so spoiled. The, the university I went to, I worked for a program that we like would do, um, go do essentially like immersion trips in places. And so I like had this job that paid for me to go to India when I was in college and it was amazing. <laughs> like, and I had, it was like my dream job. And it was actually something that I left behind when I came to move to Alaska. Like I was like 
this is like an amazing job that I have that just was like, here, here's a plane ticket to India. Like, and I was just like, this isn't good enough. (laughs) I have have to go to Alaska now. It sounds so spoiled, but um, I went and actually led my job is like I was leading a peer group of students. I think there was like seven of us maybe to this farm in India. And we just were there and just essentially learning what was going on in terms of um, farming and seeds and who's controlling seeds and, you know, um, seed patents specifically. That Just in India or just in, we are More so just like focusing very much in on India. Um we are in northern India in the village of Ramgar, which is outside of Dehradun, and it's so beautiful. It's like, you know, it's kind of like maybe what you consider like the foothills of the Himalayas. So uh, it's sexy. It's good. But, um, and such good people there too. And, you know, rivers. I love rivers. But... Yeah, just learning a lot about seeds and who controls food and learning more about our food industry and which is is and continues to be a super important part of my life, just food in general. Like that's why I go down to California every year is because I'm going down to a permaculture farm in California that is, you know, trying to offer alternatives and education in terms of how we approach our food and our food system because it is so it's just broken you know <laughs> um and and we eat the foods we eat because it makes some person in a suit somewhere a lot of money <laughs> so what did you learn in india specifically oh goodness let's let's think <laughs> um <laughs> So, specifically, it was, well, this is going to be specific, but it's not going to be specific. It's still going to be pretty broad. But um, looking at different knowledge of, like, a plant and how that plant works and how that plant benefits us and what the human uses of are of that plant, right? Um, and knowledge that's been known traditionally by people in these areas for you know, foreseeably forever. And, um, do you have a specific plant? Um, um, neem, neem is an interesting one that we use a lot in our toothpaste, um, the neem tree. And so neem is, we use it in our toothpaste. It's, or, but it's like something that, um, a company wants to buy a patent for, right? Like to patent a plant, to be like, we have essentially we like own this technology, but it's not technology, like it's literally a plant. Um, and so looking, or like- So that nobody else can grow neem or they have to pay for their patented seeds. Right, yes, yeah, we're paying for, yeah, paying for, um, <laughs> paying for their in order to yeah essentially grow that plant or use that plant um and so like for farming for example 
like looking at different rice varieties that, you know, have been patented and then sold to farmers and then looking at like saving seeds. So saving seeds is a pretty traditional practice, like with your harvest, you know, 10%, maybe you'll, you'll pull and you'll save them for seed. Um, because you want to be able to like continue to grow, right? Like use that seed for the next year. And so for the seeds that are being sold to farmers, a lot of time in India from much larger corporations, um, namely like, you know, Monsanto, that's like a big one that you'll hear, Cargill, Monsanto. Um, you're not able to do that. Like the seed literally has been infused with technology to disallow you to save your seeds so that you have to buy more seeds the next year, right? And farmers aren't like made aware of that. So then they like save their seeds, right? And then the next year they go to plant their seeds. They don't reap anything. That's their entire livelihood. And like that leads... You know, that there's farmer suicide in India is like, a, I mean, has been a huge thing um, in our so recent when, history. When they're not told that, right. or are they, is it being duped or? Not, well, you're not, not being duped, or? but I mean, <sighs> hmm. like not being, I guess it's just like not being aware that that's what is going to happen. It's not like it's not like someone's actively lying to you, right? The seller just isn't forthcoming with the information that these seeds Right, yeah. And it's honestly it is such a again, like what we were kind of talking about our hike, like it is such a complex, like multifaceted issue. And I like I think specifically like a lot of people, you know, with the GMO and GMO free, like that's a whole nother marketing scheme, right? That we use with food now. Like I go to the store and it says GMO free because a certain company was able to afford to pay for whatever certification that says, like, we don't use GMOs, and therefore me as a consumer is going to be like, well, that's a nice idea. <laughs> like, um, And we definitely, like, tailor it more towards that concern of health, like kind of freaking people out about this idea that, oh, your food is genetically modified, this, this, and that. And people get so pissed off, and they're like, they're like, well, that's not science. Of course the food is genetically modified, and... um. Or, you know, a lot of people are like, well, GMOs are fine because this, this, and that. But then kind of fail to look at, like, the more, like, socioeconomic side of it, too. Because a lot of times we just want to focus on, like, oh, what we're putting in our bodies is genetically modified. And therefore it's bad. And, like, that's not... I don't believe that, personally. Um, A lot of, like, some of my friends do, you know. (laughs) like, um, But you know to be and pesticides and that that whole issue of like producing a plant that is resistant to certain or be able to grow with the use of you know the pesticide that you've genetically modified or paired that plant with and you know that that makes me a little wary I don't necessarily like the idea of spraying my food with poison I don't know how that I don't know. So, um, it keeps those damn aphids off. Yeah. Mm, and <laughs> it does. Those aphids. Hey, nice. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, God, there's so many. A really, really wonderful um, drawing. Oh my gosh. Why am I drawing a blank? 
on the name of this book right now. I'm going to come up with it. It's going to happen. Omnivore's Dilemma? Nope. No. I read that. No. Michael Pollan is like, okay, so Michael Pollan, like, he He, goes... What's the deal (laughs) with Michael Pollan? He's super... He's... Omnivore's Dilemma, I think, probably did a lot to bring more information in, like, an accessible way to the forefront of, like, society, right, in terms of our broken food system and all that, and... It's pretty cool, you know, it's a cool resource. Like, I feel like it's kind of a gateway. <laughs> it's, you know, like I read Omni, like I read Omnivore's Dilemma. <laughs> I'm in the club. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think that goes into another relationship thing that I have with food where it's like, I think he plays a lot into the, to the whole like wellness culture that we've gotten into where again with the marketing, like we, well, we market certain foods as like whole foods, right? Like, there's literally a market called Whole Foods. Michael Pollan talks a lot about eating whole foods, like, and kind of plays into the... He's giving rise to a whole new range of lingo and words. and Yeah, and well, like, just playing into this idea that, like, you these, these are the foods you should eat, or these are the foods that are good, these are foods that are bad, and this and that, and, like, kind of, like, assigning morality to certain foods, which I get kind of frustrated with because, like, not, like, I don't, have you been to Whole Foods? It's expensive. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's it's so expensive. I, um, a few days ago, I was at the grocery, and the only thing that didn't have a sticker that said organic on it in my cart was my LaCroix. Oh, ooh. And I, so I'm, I'm in deep. You're in, in this deep. Organic, but I, I agree with you. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it and I'm like, is it worth it? And I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've looked up enough that I'm like, I want more out of my food. Right. But I haven't looked up enough. It's like, is this the route I should go? Right. And it's... I get that, a lot of that from my mom because she's super into that all organic mm-hmm. stuff. And she's given up meat and all that stuff, which I won't do, but. Which I won't do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you won't do it. But, but I don't know the orga- like the label of organic. Um, one time I heard this guy say, "Organic means they spray at night," <laughs> which is oh. like. <laughs> I mean, I the farm that I go to in California, like there's a carrot farm, like a very large carrot farm um, adjacent to it. You actually have to drive through the carrot farm in order to get further back to the farm that I go to and carrot farm, there's the conventional carrots and there's the organic carrots and they're just growing up right next to each other. And no matter, it doesn't matter if those carrots are organic, it's still really crappy the way they're produced because you're, you know, like literally depleting an aquifer, like a water source out in the desert in order to, you know, spray your, your carrots with, um, like, water you're not even like using ground irrigation like you're literally spraying them with water like from above so half that water is just like dissolving into the atmosphere before it even hits a carrot and like that's still when I buy those organic carrots in a grocery store somewhere I'm still lending my money to like those irresponsible practices you know the industrial organic as Michael Pollan calls it the industrial organic yeah yeah or like the and uh, 
And two, in order to like have that USDA organic label, you got to pay however, I don't know what how much money you have to pay, but you got to pay, yeah, pay some money. Yeah, it's not um, cheap. So like, I don't know. And that comes right back to the consumer's wallet. Right, back back to the consumer's wallet, back to like, but like hypothetically, if you pay, if more and more people who are able to pay for, you know, organic produce do that and like create demand for that, then that would hypothetically eventually make it more accessible to folks who maybe in this moment can't pay for those things. But like, I don't know, like I used to, I used to go to the grocery store and always buy, like I used to always buy organic things, right? And I think I definitely more err on the side of like, there are things that I'll buy or like, I'd rather just like buy carrots um, that were grown in Alaska, even if they're not organic. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Where do you, you buy your carrots? Who's <laughs> your carrot guy? I don't, I don't have a carrot guy here. I can buy carrots that are grown in Alaska up in Anchorage. Oh, I don't okay. have a carrot guy here. There are like, apparently people that are selling eggs on sales cycle and stuff, yeah. which I... Really want to get more into seven bucks a dozen. Yeah, which is like you I mean, know, I pay seventeen or seven bucks for eighteen of them. Right, so really, it's exactly. And, and yeah, like, I'd rather buy locally than look for the organic. Right, stuff. right, and like I'd rather buy from chickens that are like hanging out in our rain, maybe <laughs> than have names. Yeah, yeah, they might have names. I See don't know. The same moon that I'm seeing. Right, my the chickens I've taken care of didn't never had names, but I loved them still. You know, I kiss them on the mouth every night before bed. You have to with chickens. <laughs> or they won't lay. Right, or they won't lay. Or they won't lay. What are some of the uh, social things that you saw in India specifically? Mm, like, in terms of, like... In terms of the the different food well, issues that you saw. Another thing we don't talk about, I think, with food, like, so a lot of times people are like... Let's feed, let's feed the poor, you know, like the poor, like, um, and by doing that, we're going to, we're going to grow like massive amounts of this one variety of rice and that will like fill, fill people's stomachs. Won't really like give a lot of nutritive quality, but a lot of times, so you'll hear that like side of like, it doesn't provide nutrition for people, but then like the cultural aspect of like certain spices and foods and like different varieties of rice that um like no longer exist be- because of this you know industrialization of uh, a place that used to be a very much like an agro economy and um I mean still they grow a lot of like cotton and um but it was much more like subsistence uh subsistence and like small scale farming and you lose certain certain variety, varieties and spices and things like that that are have value um, because of you know tradition because of different traditions and I think too with like the social aspect. I remember watching this documentary and I was there and it was about education and like essentially Western education and like. Um, if we want to use the term Western, Western, <laughs> um, and like the bringing Western education into India and being like, this is what a school looks like. This is what a school should look like. Your kids should go to school. Your kids should learn uh, this industry. This industry has value. 
this industry makes them money and, you know, everyone should flee their rural village and go to the urban center and fight tooth and nail for this very specific job so that they can because our school system was make created money and to all make that. factory workers right and now they see value in that or at least we want to tell them there's value in that well yeah or like the right like go send your kid to school so they can go find a cubicle in new delhi you know uh, because where you live and what you're doing is not as valuable as you think it is so or moral or time moral yeah terms to it yeah yeah and so that was you know and it's convenient to do that to take um, a subsistence lifestyle away from a community because then you have you now have a new market to sell your prepackaged processed foods to <laughs> you know like you now have a new market to like be like here buy my lays buy my you know like because you're not growing all your you know all your kids have left and no one's growing anything on the farm so like now you're going to the store and you're buying these like u.s industries foods and we're profiting off of that and then that lends itself to the issue of you know trash in india like trash heaps because there's literally not an infrastructure to deal with the amount of waste that's been created because of all of the packaging that we just ship over there for the sake of so you're talking about economic gain these the natural ways these towns exist being undermined so that those people will then turn to these corporate yeah if you want to look at it in like a very like conflict theorist way which i tend to look at everything that way because i'm kind of a cynic i'm like who in it's power who in power was scheming like to what you know like uh the capital day somebody was scheming for sure but yes exactly that is exactly what i'm saying <laughs> i'm pointing fingers i feel like <laughs> every episode of this podcast is just joey pulling out the like inner cynic and every guest i have it all inside <laughs> of me depressing so i'm still gonna vomit from beauty today too <laughs> but i'm but also, also gonna... because we're mcdonaldizing every aspect of the food industry even yeah. in far away places mcdonaldizing um yeah, and, like, too, I, even I was in, like, a really pretty, very rural place, and you still have, like, you know, all the ads for, you know, Coca-Cola and all this and that, and then very, like, light-skinned Indian people being, like, the the sort of, like, the imagery of advertising and and assigning. I mean, that's that was another thing that I just doesn't, was not expecting when I went there was to become so aware of like how romanticized within advertising, like having light skin was like, and it was just like something I didn't know or read about or understand before I ever went there. And, and so that was, that was interesting. Cause like where I live, everyone for the most part was like out farming and like was very much had darker skin, but they're existing in this village that like, literally plasters images of like <laughs> lighter skin um indian people so that was i just remember thinking about that too and what that i don't know that what that does to a people 
Yeah, yeah. And like how that, I mean, that's the same thing here in the United States. Like it's the, it's the assigning more value to some arbitrary characteristic that is completely just, you know, it's, it's ascribed at birth. Like it has no, I don't know, no actual bearing on aptitude. Ooh, wow. I was just about to say bearing too. Joey, we went there together <laughs> mentally. I was like bearing, bearing is the we word. We almost I died want. together today. So now we have the hive mind. That's yeah. That's how you, uh, that's how you get it. You <laughs> look death in the face and you fart on it. <laughs> I, I think that's a great place to end. <laughs> farting uh, on death. Farting on death. Yeah. But I mean, I will say with, India, I spent like there's a million more years that I want to go back to India and learn and learn and learn and learn. It was such a, it was such a tiny little water drop, um, that I was you know there for and there in, but there was a lot of things to be angry about. But there was also like, again, so much beauty. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Let's go get free food. Yeah, I got to pee really bad, too. <laughs> I've had to pee for the last, like, seven hours. Yeah! That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.